All right, what if, what if there was an Xbox carve-out from Microsoft? And so in a previous Pixels and Profits episode, we did hypothesize that Microsoft is going all in on Game Pass, the subscriptions business, and that this could potentially, I think, Matthew, you're the one who mentioned, this might be the last generation of Xbox hardware, depending on how things pan out. So in this first scenario, I wanted to discuss what if Microsoft spins out its Xbox business. What would that look like? Who could be potential suitors to take over the business? What would be advantages and disadvantages to Microsoft? And is this even a good idea or not? Today's episode is sponsored by Data.ai to access estimates for rankings, downloads, revenue, usage, or engagement for millions of apps on the App Store and Google Play. Sign up for Data.ai. Before we dive into the what-if scenario, um, for our audience, I thought it'd be good to also just cover some of the economics. So I'll provide some context for the audience. So we're doing this for you guys regarding how they should think about console economics. And Matthew and Brian, feel free to jump in to add additional color as necessary. And I think that in, in terms of public information, we can only partially characterize the Xbox business because there isn't full information disclosure from Microsoft around Xbox. But I think we can kind of get partially there. And you know, for the audience, when you if you were to look at a Microsoft you know, 10K or 10Q, um, the financial statements generally will break out their revenue in terms of three groups. Uh, first is productivity and business processes. Second is intelligent cloud. And three, something that's called more personal computing. And gaming is part of this last part, more personal computing. And the information that Microsoft does disclose there is revenue data, but not profitability information from those Microsoft public disclosures. And Brian and Matthew, maybe I could just pause here. In terms of public information, is this the best that we, we, we have in terms of finding out more about the console business? Is there anything else that people should be looking at if they wanted to know more? I mean, just from the financial statements, yeah, that, that's the most you're going to get. Microsoft does give a little bit more color in terms of the relative growth rates of hardware versus what they call software and services, which is all the first-party software plus the platform fees on third-party plus Game Pass. Yeah. Um, there are some estimates out there from like Newzoo that try to kind of guesstimate just the software and services piece, but that's still not like a pure first-party software or a pure Game Pass number. That kind of is their estimate of all of that together. So we're, we're talking guesstimates here. No one really has the real right. number except for, you know, Amy Hood basically and, and Phil Spencer. Amy Hood is sure. the CFO of Microsoft. But yeah, I mean, most of the revenue, hardware fluctuates depending on the cycle. Most of the revenue is, is software and services. Uh, Game Pass, we can kind of benchmark the revenue because we they give subscribers. I think the last update was 25 million. Um, and I can't remember if they said if Game Pass is profitable yet or not. I, I doubt it is, but. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's another consideration. They gave some sort of revenue run rate for subscription businesses a quarter or two ago that was just exceeding a billion dollars. And I guess the only other call I would make is that since the acquisition proposal for Activision, they've been forced to disclose some competitive data that's mostly redacted and things like that, but learning some incremental bits here and there that we'll probably chat about throughout this conversation. Okay. And in these financial documents, the way that Microsoft defines gaming is and just I'll, I'll just read this off 
They say including Xbox hardware and Xbox content and services comprising first and third party content, including games and in-game content, Xbox Game Pass and other subscriptions, Xbox Cloud Gaming, third party disc royalties, advertising and other cloud services. So yeah, there's a few different sources of revenue there. Um, if you were to look at um, some of the financial statements, gaming, just for the audience, I'll read out. Looks like made in 2020, uh, meaning the year ending June 30th of 2020, made about 11.6 billion in revenue. Then 2021 jumped up to 15.4 billion, and then in 2022, last year, about 16.2 billion. So um, there was a big jump from 20 to 21, and it was you know less of a jump from 21 to 22. Now, just checking their last quarter, meaning uh, the last publicly disclosed quarter, meaning ending March 31st, what we see in gaming um, is that relative to 2022, 23 is down. So um, in 2022, it was they made 3.7 billion in that first quarter, and it's down to about 3.6 billion. So um, in, in their financial statements, they suggest that it decreased 133 million or 4% driven by decline in Xbox hardware. Xbox hardware revenue decreased 30% on a strong prior year comparable. Um, Matthew, do you have any uh, additional color on that or what, what do you think about that decline? Oh, I, I would highlight that in the nine months through March, because that's like the, the, the full period and it includes the holidays, which we know is big for consoles. Sales were also down. And I think the the decline is a little bit narrow on a percentage basis. So like that's probably the slightly better comp here. But yeah, I mean, the with supply catching up to demanding consoles, which is something we've talked about previously with both Microsoft and Sony, now we're kind of seeing what true demand looks like. And it turns out that if you don't have good first party games, true demand for consoles isn't necessarily there, right? Sony continues to sell more and sell through is higher than sell in because they have such great first party games. Uh, Xbox is clearly seeing hardware decline uh, or slow down at least decline from the peak, you know, out of the launch window. Uh, and that's because of a lack of content. So we'll see if that picks up with Starfield and a few others, but I just wanted to point out that nine month figure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to your point, Matthew, on first party content, I, I think to me, just my own personal opinion, but that that's been the lesson in this last generation is that first party content matters. And, you know, if, if, Xbox, I think, is going to try and be competitive in the future. I think they got to figure that out. There's got to be a reason why. Um, and, and just to characterize the economics, and you guys just feel free to jump in. As as um, as Matthew and Brian mentioned, like we're we're able to gather together bits of information in terms of the profitability and economics of the console business based upon various data so sources. So. Uh, Matthew sent uh, sent me a link from I think it was iSupplier I forget what the what the source was but this source suggested that Xbox 360 Premium so just going back a few generations was priced $126 below its bill of materials bill of materials meaning all the component parts that it takes um, that that Microsoft has to buy to actually put put the Xbox together. And they suggest, quote, specifically, the total cost for the Xbox 360 premium reaches $525, which is well above the retail price of $399. Now, in the last generation, just comparatively, uh, on the Sony side, 
There's a, a research firm called IHS that suggested PS4 carried a bill of materials cost of $372 plus $9 in manufacturing, leading to a total of $381 while selling for $399. But that still doesn't mean that they're profitable because you also have to add in a bunch of other expenses such as marketing, shipping, like the distribution or retail margin that, that you need to add. So Sony basically lost money on every console. Uh, it was rumored on PS3, Sony actually lost $200 per console. Uh, Brian and Matthew, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, console makers sell at a loss. Um, right. But as, as you said, this is bill of materials. So this is the estimate from these third parties like IHS or iSupply of the component costs. So it yeah. doesn't include all of those other things that you mentioned. And it's not even just the overhead costs like marketing and R&D. It's also things like shipping and inventory costs and things yep. that actually happen in the actual real world process of moving a box from where it's made probably Taiwan or China to wherever it's being sold. Um, that actual process incurs costs as well. Right. Yeah, so there's I, also a couple of other things there too, if, we, if we're gonna get uh, uh, intricate. So like R&D, both for hardware and the software that lays on top of the hardware. Uh, right. Mark, we already discussed a bit, there's backend servers that uh, they kind of lay into the cost of subscriptions um, and other various infrastructure things. So, I mean, it could even be 2X that BOM if you really wanna get down to the nitty gritty to it. So they're, they're, they are losing a considerable amount of money up front. It's an investment. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so the way to think about economics is, to some degree, it's like um, you can think about it from a unitary economics perspective. Meaning, like, let's say for a single Xbox, you know, let's say you sell it for five hundred dollars, and you but you're losing two hundred dollars. Then, like, how do you make up that two hundred dollar gap per? Xbox, right? And the way that you make that up is through all the other things that we kind of mentioned when we were describing in the financial statements, like the software royalty sales, the subscriptions, the DLC, all those other things that that um, that uh, Microsoft can make money from. And again, just kind of scouring the internet for our audience here, um, the Motley Fool did a study on uh, video game console makers, and they suggest that the royalty that um, that the console manufacturer makes is typically a $7 royalty per disc. So if you're selling a disc, like you're buying, you know, Grand Theft Auto, um, well, actually in the case of Grand Theft Auto, you'd make less. So like a typical disc, they would make $7, but then if it's a popular game like Call of Duty or Grand Theft Auto, then that royalty drops to $5. Um, so then the way to think about it is, okay, so let's say you have this, whatever it is, $100, $200, maybe more than $200 to Brian's point then you know, you're, you're gonna to have to make that up and by selling more and more software discs at $7 each, plus subscriptions, plus a bunch of other stuff. Matthew and Brian, any, any other thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, I, I would note that I think those numbers are the disc era. Um, the numbers yeah. are actually a lot higher in the digital download era. Right. Um, the platforms are getting, I think $18 out of the 60, I guess it's, you know, scale that to $70 uh, SKUs now, right? but they're getting a much fatter margin because there's no retail margin, right? Historically, GameStop or Walmart or Costco, whoever was actually selling the game, yeah. got a cut of the, the $12 between the 48 of net revenue that went to the publisher and the $60 gross price. Uh, you know, so that $7 or $5 would go to the platform. Now the net revenue to the publisher is $42. It's more profitable revenue and the profit dollars are higher. 
again, scale this to 70. I just haven't run the math since numbers have gone up to 70, but yeah. uh, they make a lot more money on digital is the short version of it. And at higher margin, there's no discs involved and they get all the DLC and MTX, which yep. is all 100% margin on, on their cut of that, the 30% cut of that. And well, okay, maybe it's 99.9% .9 margin because you need someone to count the money when it comes in. Right. So a few trends are working in the console maker's favor. So to your point, the shift from you know physical to digital distribution, and then to the extent that you have DLC and free to play and you know FIFA, <laughs> Ultimate Football, whatever you know, it makes a ton of money in MTX. So I think that's all good news for the console makers. But yeah, they do have to make it up. And the other thing to note, just in terms of historical data, is that um, typical attach ratios, at least for the last generation, were something like eight to nine. So meaning like, let, let's say it's nine, um, then that would mean that you could take nine multiplied by whether it's digital or physical, the $18 or the $7 or the $5. And then that would be more money to help offset the loss that you make from selling that initial uh, hardware. Um, so what do you guys think in terms of the attractiveness of the business and the like growth potential for console makers? It does seem to me that if you're able to get scale and if you're able to, the, you know, a lot of these trends are going in your favor that you can have a very good business, but it would require scale. What, what do you guys think? Yeah, I'd say like the hardware business standalone is not super attractive, generally speaking, because of all the, the things you just mentioned. And hardware for investors is an extraordinarily tough sell. Uh, they want recurring revenue streams, and yeah. it's also very hard to compete on price. Um, this also wouldn't be a business you could acquire and just be lazy on. It would need a ton of energy and continued vigor uh, to grow the installed base and increase like, product differentiation, including software uh, versus Sony and Nintendo to a degree, even though they kind of play in different niches. Um, the acquirer would also really need a deep understanding of hardware manufacturing, uh, strong relationships with a variety of manufacturers, including casings and semis and memory and assembly, and then, you know, not even to mention logistics and shipping. So um, if we're talking about the full on business, right, like if we're talking about Microsoft carving out the Xbox gaming business, it's an extraordinarily large business. And I think we'll probably get a little bit deeper into that, but it's uh, that is attractive, right? Uh, but it would also be a very big ticket for an acquirer. And it would also just be something that I think would be a lot easier just to float on the public markets. Uh, you already have an installed CEO that's quite good and good with investors, uh, good at managing his organization. Um, but like, I think we'll probably discuss why they would do that next. But so I'll leave it there and kick it over to Matt. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything Brian just said. I think uh, I do think that this could stand on its own as a standalone business, which I think is part of the reason Microsoft likes it because it can stand alone and it's on it's its own. Um, I don't I think it's too big to be acquired um, by pretty much everyone because anyone that's big enough to acquire it, antitrust gets in the way and they can't do it. Um, so like, you know, that's really the only option to spin it out is actually spin it out and separately list it, which isn't the craziest idea if you're a Microsoft shareholder and you want Microsoft to purely be an enterprise company. Um, Satya Nadella has explicitly said he wants to build consumer subscriptions. So, you know, Satya disagrees with you, at least from that perspective, if, if, you, if you want that. But, you know, I, I, I do think that... Um, particularly with MTX in live services games. I remember back when Fortnite came out and you looked at the, the financials of Xbox and Sony and how much money they were printing because of Fortnite on console, right? And that's not even their own game. They're just collecting checks. 
Um, you see similar things with, you know, battle royales like Warzone and other like that, right? So it's clear that this is a great business being the platform, being the gatekeeper is a fantastic business. The loss up front is to, is to protect that profit pool. Yeah, maybe I could push back a little bit, Brian, in terms of like, is Phil Spencer a good CEO and leader for this team? Because like, to some degree, he kind of missed the the you know first party content side of this, and 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 also I would say like there's this other aspect that that I think about, which is should I I kind of feel like Game Pass is kind of fighting the console business itself, right? Because Game Pass wants to be everywhere, the console business, at least in my you know my opinion, is that the console business wants to have exclusive first party content. And so they're kind of a little bit at odds. So I, I guess my question would be, you know, how do you guys feel about kind of like the miss on the um, on Phil Spencer's side leading Xbox to really drive first party content as Nintendo and Sony have done? And then also, should Game Pass and Xbox actually be separated? What do you guys think? I think that it's way too early to judge Phil Spencer. I don't think he's been given the remit to do what he wants until very recently. I think okay. 2022 when was when he was named CEO of of, okay. of Xbox, right? Sure. Before that, he was reporting up to someone within the devices business. So even though he was on the board, like he was on the you know the senior decision making, and he ran the gaming business, he still had a boss that wasn't Satya Nadella. Now he reports directly to Satya. I think that's a big difference in terms of the structure and his ability to make decisions. And we all know that even if you go back in 2017, when he was made that role, decisions on content are take three years, right? So we wouldn't even see the impact of some of his choices until 2020, 2021 because of COVID delays. So in reality, we only have a couple of years at best to really judge him on. I, I, you can definitely judge him and say that recent releases have been delayed. They've been buggy. They haven't been up to quality. And you're almost getting to the Ubisoft point where they need to just execute and shut up. And Starfield's going to be a big test for them. But, sure. it, you know, I, I think it's way too early to, you know, say that he's not the right person. I think people respect him and think that he is the right leader for the business. Um, in terms of separating Game Pass from the rest of the business, I don't think that's possible. Hmm. Um you know, I, I think if anything, Microsoft wants Game Pass to be the only portion of the gaming business alongside just being the platform for it for, for commissions. But um, I mean, Game Pass is the future of this business. You know, I think I think Microsoft's going to live or die by that. Yeah, I, I agree with Matt. You think you really do have to divide the uh, Phil Spencer era into maybe even three different sections. Right. And the most recent being his promotion to CEO. And before that, the elevation of Satya to CEO, where they did fully embrace gaming. Um, they've made a, a lot of acquisitions uh, in the past three or four years. There was a 1E3 where they announced five or so. Um, and then following on to that, obviously, uh, Bethesda, Zenimax. Uh, so there's a lot more content there. And like, to Matt's point, it does take a, a good chunk of time to start churning out high, high-end hits. They built a subscription business. Um, they've also... Uh, tied in services with Azure and other things that are, you know, really important to the overall structure of the business. Um, so yeah, time will tell. I think what I do like about Phil is that he is uh, really a part of, you know, gaming culture. I think people know him, including gamers. Uh, he positions himself as, as gamer friendly and gamer first and consumer first. Uh, and I guess the other notion is that he's also very 
uh, self-reflective and willing to admit his own mistakes. Uh, there's very few CEOs that will go out there and say, hey, if we made a mistake with Redfall. It won't happen again and that sort of thing. So I, uh, I do like that he uh, takes the bullet himself and doesn't pass it on to somebody else. And um, I guess that's what's some, you know, a good feature to look for in a CEO, particularly one that would be operating in a public market setting. And what do you think Acquisitions about- that don't get a lot of credit for Xbox, I'd throw PlayFab out there. People forget that they acquired PlayFab, which is, you know, all backend stuff, but I think really was valuable for what they're trying to build. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm I'm not a huge fan, but uh, I yeah, strategically, yes, I I, get, I don't know, uh, you know, the specific implementation execution of it. Uh, but um, and Brian, what do you think about Game Pass and Xbox together? Like again, I, from my perspective, it's like they're they're kind of competing. Like I feel like Game Pass wants to put content on multiple platforms, and you know, the console strategy should be to just keep it on the Xbox. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think if I had my druthers on uh, a subscription service for gaming, uh, it would be a, a great repository for aged content, uh, things that people want to go back and experience that was out three or four years ago or whatever. Uh, I don't want to see a future where um, we're uh, judging the uh, success of new titles on engagement and uh, things like that or subscription lift. It kind of puts us in this like Netflix content scenario, and I think we've all seen the path that... Um, sorts of like just regular TV and movie programming have gone. It's, it's very hard to judge success without fundamentals of revenue and launch. And I think it just changes the gaming dynamic for the worse. I think it has an impact on uh, personnel and jobs and, and cost cutting and all this other stuff. So I, I do not want to see a future where the vast, like the vast majority of games that are launched uh, from some of the best studios in the world are not priced at full price and monetized as they are now. I guess that's the only cut. I'm with you. I think that the structure that Microsoft is building with Game Pass actually is probably the best for as a consumer. I look, I have it. You know, it's you get the first party content when it comes out, great. Like that's valuable. You get a catalog of older games. I played through all the Yakuza catalog at one point just because it was there. <laughs> that was fun. And then there's a whole bunch of indie games that I would never otherwise pay for. Now, on PC, if you're on Steam, you might pay like, you know, their their discount or whatever, but I'm mostly a console gamer. I don't. I never used to buy those games. Now I'll experiment with them and play with them. Like Overcooked was fun during COVID, and that was in there. You know, games like that that are that I probably would never pay for in the first place, but because they're there, I played them, and they were fun. And hopefully, a developer got some royalties because I played it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm for me, I'm still negative on Game Pass overall. Just because it not only fights the console business, but I also think Game Pass fights live operated hit titles. So, you know, when I think about the game behavior of uh, kids that I see and like my own kids, it's like certain titles that are, you know, whether it's Fortnite or League of Legends or Valorant, you know, certain games just take up all all their time and like getting them to play some of the back catalog or small indie titles is kind of like, more of a band-aid rather than, you know, like the, 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 the true solution or so, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a little bit, for me, I'm a little bit negative on that. And I do think that uh, one advantage to carving out Xbox business is maybe, you know, the hardware part or the platform part could be independent and that could be 
dis disassociated from the subscription Game Pass part, which would whose you know objective would be to be on as many platforms as possible. But um, I will say that you know one of the third party games in Game Pass is MLB The Show, which is made by a Sony studio, and sure. I play it on Xbox because. I don't have to pay for it because I'm already paying for game a uh, game pass as opposed to paying $70 plus the premium. If you're getting the premium edition on PlayStation and I still spent ridiculous way too much money on freaking card packs for, for what I forget what they call it. I haven't played it. I haven't played the new one because of my stupid exams, but the old, well, last year's version, like, you know, just that it's the equivalent of their foot model, their FIFA ultimate team, the equivalent model, uh, you know, they have the card packs and you try to get all the players, right? And yeah, yeah you know, it, does, it doesn't stop me from spending on that. It's just, you know, Microsoft is eating the cost to Sony or MLB got involved as, as far as I know. But it's uh, it, it's just like, I, I, th I think that there's more to it than just a catalog of indie games. I think li even live services games, premium live services games, bringing that down to a, a lower price point by amortizing that cost across more titles, you can still see significant live services revenue and monetization. And so um, just to hammer home this point, uh, it, I know this is a what-if scenario, so to some degree we're kind of implicitly assuming that it just gets carved out, but is, is this a good idea? What do you guys, is it, should my, like, even in today's, in, in a real practical scenario, should Microsoft consider carving out the Xbox business? And what would be the advantages, disadvantages? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's something that they would ever proactively institute outside of a scenario where they have to choose between being a publisher and a developer of games, and a you know, and a major player in games distribution. Um, and I don't think that the Activision transaction would impact that in any direction. Um, Microsoft might not be knocking the cover off the ball in hardware sales or market share versus Sony and Nintendo, but the Xbox business still gives them you know a seat at the table to distribute high margin software to their installed base. And like while they're losing the hardware battle at the moment, the installed base is still pretty substantial. Um, it's also very present in the PC ecosystem as the dominant OS, but that ecosystem is just vastly different than mobile ecosystems. Um, the winners there are the large launcher platforms like Steam or in-house launchers like Blizzard or Epic to a degree. Um, I think it really comes down to Microsoft's long-term commitment to gaming. Uh, and if at some point in time they wanted to do a spin out of the entire gaming business like we discussed, uh, it wouldn't really even need a buyer. Like I said, it's like this could be spun out in public markets and it would probably be uh, pretty successful, especially if it included Activision. But, you know, why go through the hassle of buying Activision if your design is just to spin it out again? It seems like a lot of financial shenanigans when uh, that doesn't really speak to Microsoft's long-term strategy or leadership style. Well, John Malone just perked up in the chat but, uh, <laughs> if, if you want to talk about financial engineering, if this was a Liberty company. But I mean, if, if I just do some napkin math and I'm a huge fan of napkin math on trailing 12 month numbers, even if you assume they only did a 10% EBIT margin on the trailing 12 month revenue, Sony's like 20 plus percent on their total gaming business. So I'm haircutting Xbox substantially yeah. and you put a 20 times EBIT multiple, which I don't think is unreasonable. You're looking at a 30 plus billion company. Like that's not a small pill for anyone to swallow yeah. except for one of these mega caps. And then you get into the antitrust issues. Like I don't even, not even Netflix. I mean, Netflix makes sense. I think Brian, you wanted to get into that, but like they can't afford that. Like, like it, it depends on what the cash flows of Xbox actually look like and what the leverage looks like pro forma. We'd have to see more numbers, but like there's really no deal that could happen financially that makes sense and that gets through antitrust. 
we also have to go into the assumption that like most of the people that could acquire this business are like they're bitter rivals, right? Like they're trying to kill each other in some of their highest growth and highest margin businesses like Amazon and Microsoft directly compete with AWS versus Azure. A uh, long story history of Google and Microsoft competing over everything from, you know, web browsers to uh, enterprise cloud um, search. So it's like at that point in time, they'd probably rather just shut it down and sell it to Amazon or Google. But I mean, I, I just don't see a scenario where that would take place. So, so I, I I don't think that Microsoft will will do this. This is a what if. The odds of them getting rid of the business I think are low. Uh -huh. um, but if they did, I think a spin out is really the only viable option. Right. But to some degree, though, like in in a previous Pixels episode, Matthew, you had suggested this might be the last, you know, generation of Xbox hardware. So, um, if that's the case, then why wouldn't they consider? you know, spinning it out or selling the business or something. Well, I think they want to generate consumer subscription services and Game Pass is that, right? I mean, Game Pass is the only okay. one they have so right you're, now. You're saying that the gaming business just becomes hardware less and it's just all about subscriptions. It's hardware agnostic. You run it on whatever device. We're getting to a point where cloud gaming actually could be somewhat of a thing, whether you're running it on a smart TV or you're just running it on a PC. Right. There's lots of devices that can handle the computing power for gaming nowadays at a reasonable level of fidelity, especially for average games. And if Microsoft is the one doing this, they can fine tune the fidelity to fit that distribution, um, particularly to smartphones potentially. And so, you know, I think that over time, that's where, that's at least where Satya wants to get to, where you're not reliant on the hardware access device, you're just available on as many devices as possible. Now, will that technically work? It's still probably several years from being able to do that at the highest fidelity possible. But remember, I don't think console gamers have ever been after the latest and greatest, highest fidelity possible. I mean, if you want that, you play on PC and you spend thousands of dollars on a graphics card. You're not doing that on a console anyway. So I think when you're thinking about the audience for console, it's shooters and sports mostly and a little bit of racing and then everything else is a rounding error. Like, the you don't need a 4090 ti from nvidia graphics card to play fifa right you need something that's moderately good to do it there's also yeah, but, some other like lighter capex ways they could approach this and i'm just off the top of my head uh, they could do more like an android model where they are white labeling their software and services to um, like chinese manufacturers or other other folks that could um, build boxes or lighter clients with you know, cloud streaming enabled if we weren't all the way there yet, especially for like countries where there's not uh, super fast broadband. So that would alleviate them the pressure of developing hardware, um, selling hardware and such, but also be able to get some revenue out of that and hold on to distribution and subscriptions, which is the most important thing to that. There's already Samsung TVs with Game Pass as an app on them now. Like it's like it's already happening today. Now, I, I, I haven't tried it, so I don't know what the experience is like playing it relative to on a console in terms of latency and things like that, but yeah. like it it, 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 exists today. Yeah. But I, I, but can't you imagine like if Microsoft were all in on game pass and if they were thinking about, okay, well, we don't need this hardware business anyway, then why not, why not just sell it off or spin it out? The hardware, yeah. no one will buy the hardware by itself. I mean, the hardware bleeds money and not to mention the, the R and D to do it to Brian's point. The best thing to do would just be to open source all of the tech they've built and let 
you know, Foxconn and Pegatron and all the yeah, well, Transformers I, yeah. white so, label so, it. So I, I understand there's there's like the Android model, but there's also the model of just like selling off the, uh, not necessarily just the, the, it's the platform business, right? The, the hardware plus you own the, the interface where you can sell, you know, the uh, MTX. Well, I don't, I don't think you lose that by focusing on Game Pass because you can have both. You can be a distribution platform like Steam. You can just be a software client distribution platform and you can be the subscription on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my point was like, if you, if you were thinking, Matthew, that, okay, uh, this might be the last generation of Xbox, if they go all in on Game Pass and then just decide to go Game Pass and it's like, okay, we're going to get rid of this hardware anyway, and then why not just let it go off? No, no. So I, when I say okay. all in on Game Pass, I, like the, the platform business is still a thing. You just convert that to a digital platform from a physical box, right? So you're still going to clip coupons on third-party games and then you're also going to make money from subscriptions. Right, but you're you're sitting on like someone else, like if you're if you're on Game Pass, you're you're sitting on someone else's hardware, right? So it'd be Game Pass in on a PlayStation or on a PC or on someone else's. Hardware. Does Razer get commissions when I buy a game on Steam for my Razer computer? Unfortunately, I mean, not. Right. Yeah. I mean, so I I don't I don't think I don't think this is any anything that's you know not analogous to the PC market. It's basically making. The console business look more like the PC business. Okay. Yeah, it seems like the only way that hardware is palatable in this generation of tech is whenever you have some sort of distribution. And this goes back to like the HPE and HPQ spinoff, right? Like printer business is absolute garbage until you you know charge them for ink every three months or have it show up on their doorstep. It's pretty much the same thing in gaming. Okay. It actually also, I mean, we can go way down the rabbit hole, but like I actually just came to my head, like Nvidia could actually like make a um, a quasi console, but the similar to a gaming PC, the parts are replaceable. So you don't need a gaming PC if you want to play on a console like experience, but it has the latest and greatest hardware. Like there's things that could actually happen that could be very interesting. There would be rounding errors for Nvidia, but like you know, interesting things could be done to open up the hardware ecosystem uh, if if Xbox decided to go that route. Okay. So let, let's say, you know, and it sounds like what you guys are saying is that, you know, spitting out the hardware business doesn't make sense. But assuming if it did, uh, we, you, you guys also mentioned like potential acquirers are quite limited. I mean, you, you definitely need a lot of cash to operate this business and things like that. Um, who do you guys, who could be potential acquirers, if, if any? Uh, I, I actually like the NVIDIA idea, Matthew, but like um, anyone else? Well, I don't think anyone necessarily acquire the hardware business because what are you buying? You're buying supplier relationships and you're buying some IP. Like I think Microsoft could just either open source or license the IP around the Xbox and some of the software and then say, all of you white label ODMs in China and Taiwan, sure. you can go make your own and we'll give you the software and we'll take and, and you can use our software inside of your own box. And here's some of the IP that we built to make the box work. And Foxconn and Pegatron and Wistron and all the Transformers. Um, they'll go out and build those boxes. NVIDIA could do something with a high-end you know, flavor to it. Sure, AMD could. Logitech probably will jump in because they seem to chase everything. Um, you know, but like, I, I think I think that could be interesting for them. So you wouldn't be selling it, but you could license so you like the, the software. Model, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I've uh, thought about this a bit. And, you know, I do think if you just spoke to CEOs of large tech companies that said, hey, if you could just have Microsoft's gaming business and everything that came along with it, would you take it? And I think there's 
probably five or six that'd be like, absolutely, yes. At some certain price, this would be absolutely fitting into our ecosystem. Like Amazon, for instance. I always thought Amazon, uh, it would be interesting to see them involved in the gaming ecosystem in a more material way. Um, they have a hardware presence organically and through acquisition, whether it be through like tablets or home security, Alexa devices, they've tried smartphones and things like that. And at one point in time, I thought it would be interesting to see Amazon push into the market with a gaming PC, maybe even under like the Twitch brand or the Prime brand. Uh, but, you know, but the Twitch brand isn't quite what it used to be, you know, four or five years ago. And I was dreaming about this stuff every night. Um, they have had competition from YouTube and like newer ingress from companies like Kick, which might be a flash in the pan, but um, they're attracting t- top streamers at the moment. And it's probably their biggest uh, new competitor since like Beam, which Microsoft acquired and shuttered back in the day. Um, but again, like they're, they're bitter rivals, right? Uh, and Google, um, they tried to jump right into streaming with Stadia with a bunch of partnerships, but no real killer first party content. Um, and again, I have a hard time thinking Microsoft would work with a huge mega cap that they compete with for investors as much as any other things. Um, you know, Google also tries to compete with Microsoft and productivity and enterprise cloud. Uh, they killed them in desktop browser and search until recently when Bing is kind of coming alive again with AI assisted search. Um, Netflix is another one that's out there. You know, this is extraordinarily difficult from a financial perspective to acquire. They do want to get bigger in gaming. They've shown uh, some propensity to spend on you know, really good talent and first party content to a degree. They have this kind of mobile thing going on. Um, and there's very little competitive overlap in that instance, too. But again, this is like this would be a, a very, very large transaction for, for someone like Netflix. It would be, have to be you know nearly all stock. Um, and I just uh, you just there's just not a lot of companies that can take down a business with 20 plus billion dollars in revenue, especially after Activision. Yeah, I, I, I like those ideas, um, especially Amazon. I think NVIDIA would be super interesting, but um, anyway. I think those would be more like partnerships than like, you know, closed yeah. door deals with um, like some sort of price attached. Because, you know, if, if Microsoft did want to offload it, they have amazing partnerships with like NVIDIA already in, in several different areas. Um, it, it would just kind of be one of those things where they organically work it out into being more of a long-term partnership with revenue share and Make it easy on everybody else. Well, there you, you know, have and I'll it. I'll just note before we move on, like when I said the price tag is like thirty billion, I did that yeah. without Activision. Like, you know, <laughs> Microsoft is paying sixty nine billion, which is overvalued versus current valuations in the market. But like, that's still a business with forty percent EBIT margin. So, yeah. you know, even though it's eight billion, nine billion of revenue, it's forty percent EBIT margins. You're more than doubling Xbox's EBIT by adding Activision to it, probably. And so. You know, you're you're doubling, if not more, the price tag that would have to be paid. So, as a standalone business, it could stand up Jeez. and be cool, especially with Activision. But it it no one can afford that. Yeah. All right. Well, there you have it. Scenario number one: What if Xbox carve out? And those are the thoughts from the Pixel Brothers. Uh, maybe I'll pass it over to you, Brian, to talk about our second what if scenario. Uh, 